Grace, mercy and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen. Christian friends, it was wonderful to come into St Mark's yesterday and to see all the loving care and attention that's been given in the entrance foyer. You've got the three wise men and Christmas is still very much around us in our church. Yesterday was known as the 12th day of Christmas, also the festival in honour of the Epiphany of our Lord, also the baptism of Jesus. You might have seen on the television news some Greek Orthodox people throwing their, what, throwing crosses, were they? And diving uh, in honour of our Lord's baptism. The Eastern Orthodox Christians, like the Eastern, the beautiful Russian Orthodox Church in Greenhill Road, or the Greek Orthodox Church in Unley, for them and their fellow Orthodox Christians everywhere, yesterday, January the 6th, was their Christmas. For all of us, this is the time of year when we remember the wise men who came from the East on their camels to honour our Lord Jesus. You heard the reference to camels in one of our readings. Uh, came with their camels. Uh, we don't have any doubt about the camels. We might have doubts about exactly how many wise men, <laughs> but camels, yes. Probably coming from Persia, Iran, that part of the world. Honouring Jesus with their gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Because Christians around the world love the story of the wise men, and we've all loved it from our childhood, I was disappointed to open the, in the mail the Christmas special edition of the magazine Spectator Australia and start reading the editorial. The Massacre of the Innocents is a story told in the New Testament, but only in one of the Gospels, of King Herod ordering the slaughter of all males two years old or under. Regardless of its veracity, disputed by many historians, it nonetheless has always been a ghastly subplot or horrifying backstory to the otherwise uplifting tale of the nativity. Now, I can't really blame the editor of a secular magazine for casting doubt on the veracity of the story. He's just echoing some of the most outspoken and most published Bible scholars of our day. People who earn their living partly by questioning this and that part of Holy Scripture, and so undermining or potentially undermining Christians' faith, Christian faith in the holy, infallible Word of God. Well, if you want to make a name for yourself by questioning this or that in the Bible, why begin with the story of the wise men in St. Matthew? It's not only Matthew who tells us what sort of a man Herod was. From other sources, we know he loved power, he levied, levied punishing taxes. He became paranoid and cruel, especially towards the end of his reign when he was ill. He had ten wives who spawned an ambitious brood of sons, all scheming to succeed him. In fits of rage, he killed close associates. He killed his wife, Mariamne, and three of his sons. Caesar Augustus said, it was better to be Herod's pig than his son. Now, in Greek, that's a play on words. Better to be his hus than his huios. 
Our Gospel reading for Epiphany compares and contrasts two very different kings, King Herod and the infant King Jesus. They couldn't be more different, could they? The one a jealous tyrant, clinging to power, ill at ease, suspicious of everyone. Ever see that movie about um, Stalin's last days and how paranoid poor old Stalin was at the end, and rightly so? (laughs) Herod, suspicious of everyone. The other king, a small child, sleeping peacefully and playing happily, and already endowed with all authority in heaven and on earth. As the hymn writer says, when Christ's appearing was made known, King Herod trembled for his throne. But he who offers heavenly birth seeks not the kingdoms of this earth. What a difference between the earthly king lording it over others and making their lives a misery and the humble king of heaven. Herod the Great is an example of tyrants and big men and bullies around the world. People who throw their weight around, who think and act as if they're above the law. King Herod's cruelty and ruthlessness comes to a climax when he murders all the little boys in Bethlehem, two years old and younger. While Herod had soldiers to do his dirty work, his counterpart in our gospel story, the infant King Jesus, was weak and helpless and vulnerable. Our Lord modelled a meek and gentle spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, we read in the Beatitudes, the first Beatitude. Blessed are the meek. That's what he taught his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's what he teaches and models for you and for me. When the proud rabbis and Pharisees rejected him, he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to babes. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light." in chapter 11 of Matthew. And then our gracious, gentle king enters Jerusalem not on a war horse, but on a gentle donkey in order to suffer and die as the innocent lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's our gentle king, a total contrast to Herod. And the wise men recognise and honour him for who he is. These wise men from the east, Persia, Babylon, Arabia, Actually, uh, Iran, Persia, uh, ancient Persia, modern Iran is one of the most likely places. The story goes in about the year 600 or so, uh, there were Persians, um, Persian armies in uh, North Africa and, um, yeah, or was it the, I'm I'm getting my stories mixed up. But anyway, they entered this um, church, a Christian church, and they saw pictures of the wise men dressed in in Iranian clothing. And so they spared that church. That's right, it was a a Persian army that spared a particular church. Yes, these men in eastern countries learned the, the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah from men like Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego, 
and Queen Esther and kings who favoured and promoted faithful Jews, kings like Nebuchadnezzar and Darius and Cyrus. So when the star appeared to them, they recognised that this was the star of the promised king of the Jews. As we read in Numbers, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. In the Bible's last chapter, Jesus says he is the bright morning star. So God opened the wise men's eyes, so they recognised this infant child for who he is. They present him with magnificent and appropriate gifts, gifts that would be really helpful for the Holy Family, who must soon flee into exile in Egypt. Gold for a king, frankincense, the incense used in the Jerusalem temple in divine worship, and fitting gift for Jesus, who is the true God, to be honoured in our worship. And finally, myrrh, an expensive spice used in burials, foreshadowing Jesus' burial as a rich man, as John tells us in his Gospel. Joseph of Aramea, Arimathea took away the body of Jesus and Nicodemus came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds, Roman pounds, in weight. And as we often hear at this time of the year, wise people still worship him. Wise Gentiles from all nations follow him he transforms them into gentle people who model themselves on him. I remember reading about the Vikings who terrorised Europe for years. But you can almost date when they stopped these terrible raids from, the, from church records of baptisms, when they came to baptism. Ancient church records. Oops. Show this. Three examples from mission history about Gentiles coming to know Christ. First senior John Fleal, the first Lutheran missionary in Papua New Guinea, was a model of patience. I had the honour when I was pastor in Bridgewater of having his grandson, Eric, in the congregation. Uh, Bill and others would remember Eric. Uh, Eric, like his grandfather, was the gentlest of men, except he had a private pilot's licence and uh, when he got behind the wheel of a car, it was a, a little bit of a different story. And one stage when I was his pastor, he lost his licence for three months. <laughs> Otherwise, a real model of gentleness. Without Fleal Senior, Senior he was called, without his gentleness, the whole mission in New Guinea would have been ruined. It would never have got underway. When Flil and his colleague Tramel set up camp at Simbang village near Finchhafen, July 12, 1886, the natives made them most unwelcome. The first night they left their feces around the tent. The locals then tried more forceful measures. One day, Chief Nunkhole threatened Flil with an axe. Tramel shouted, shoot him. Thankfully, although Flil had a revolver, Instead of using it, he took the axe away from his attacker. He, he suffered a wound in the process. He took the axe away from his attacker and threw it into the jungle. And gradually they befriended the people. Secondly, you may have heard missionaries, whether to the Aborigines or to the Papua New Guineans or wherever, missionaries getting a bad rap 
for destroying people's traditional culture. The early missionaries in Papua New Guinea knew that before the mission came, the people led a fear-filled life. And Georg Vixedom, pioneer missionary at Mount Hagen in the 1930s, where we lived later on, Vitsadom tells how tears came to his eyes and the eyes of fellow missionaries when for the first time they saw children walking from one village to another without an armed escort. And the third and final example, back in the 1820s, two men from London, Tyreman and Bennett, spent eight years on an official visit to London Missionary Society stations around the world. One of the stations was in Papua New Guinea on the south coast around Port Moresby. That was a London Missionary Society uh, station. But these two men from London first of all visited Tahiti. Although the islanders had been involved in perpetual warfare, cannibalism and infanticide, the missionaries could report that the gospel had brought about a miraculous change. Old, in old enemies were living in peace and the people themselves had become missionaries to neighbouring islands. The story goes that sea captains and sailors who often criticised missionaries whenever they were shipwrecked on the reefs of the Tahitian islands and made it to shore, they would pray that missionaries had been there before them and that people were no longer cannibals. Some enemies of Christianity have claimed that the gospel of forgiveness through faith in Jesus has no meaning for Europeans, for non-Europeans. But Tyman and Bennett were convinced otherwise. They give us proof, the example of the Polynesian men and women who, as heathen, had killed their own children. One chief in Raiatea had killed 19 of his children before the mission arrived, was now besieged by nightmares compare King Herod. Likewise, there were women who had strangled babies for other women. They declared that they often seemed to have their murdered children before their eyes, and their own wickedness appears so great, they sometimes think it cannot be pardoned. But then again, they've heard that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And this preserved them from despair. Their hearts and eyes overflowed with gratitude when they acknowledged the mercy of God in Jesus, our gentle King. May the Holy Spirit help each of us to keep growing in Christian gentleness as we model ourselves on Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Amen. And the peace of God that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.